chapter 15, and we're studying about the resurrection today, going on in the chapter 15 in regards to what it means and why the resurrection is so important to us. J.C. Ryle, a well-known preacher and teacher of the Bible, says we must, he said, we must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear we must take our whole heart to the house of God in worship and hear like those who are listening to the reading of a will. Have you ever seen someone or maybe heard of an occasion when someone's listening to the reading of a will? Someone's passed away and they have left their will. And those that are listening, they're listening with heart and with ears, understanding and knowing, wanting to know what is the intention of this person's will for me. You see, when we open our Bible, we're opening up God's will for our lives. It's specifically when we're talking about the resurrection. You know what's important when we talk about the resurrection is because we learn what happens after we die. We have so much hope. We have so much comfort. I heard someone praying this morning, a brother of ours, as he prayed and he said, Thank you, Lord, because of the resurrection. We have comfort and we know what happens after we die. Did you know that the resurrection is so important because it speaks about and it talks about the past victory of Christ and His past victory affects your future destiny. Because of the resurrection, you know where your destiny will be. You have hope and you have comfort and you know that because of the resurrection, you have a promise of eternal life. And without the resurrection, had we not known the resurrection, if the resurrection is not true, if the resurrection is not real, then our life is just empty. We're going through the motions and everything is in vain. You see, the resurrection makes you think about where God saved you from and what He saved you from, what place. Last week as we were studying this, a young gal approached me after service and he said, she said, you know what, throughout the entire message, I was just thinking about what God took me from, where He rescued me from. And if it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for the resurrection, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I probably would still be stuck in that sin and in that lifestyle. But thank God that He went to the cross for me and for you because now we don't have to live in bondage to that sin. In bondage to that lifestyle. You see, what does the resurrection tell us? It demonstrates that, that in Christ, He has all the authority. Christ has the authority. In the resurrection, we learn that He has the victory. That Christ won and He has the victory over death, over sin, over hell, right? And it also tells us that in Christ, we have deliverance. What do you have through the resurrection? You know that Christ, He is the authority. He's on the throne. You know that through the resurrection that, that Christ has the victory over death and over sin. But through the resurrection you learn that He has also deliverance. That He has saved you from your sin. And He has a purpose and He has a plan. And a purpose in the plan of the resurrection is that you would not live in your sin anymore. That you would be freed from your sin and that you would live in Christ. Not live in sin, but live in Christ. In the past, we were living as slaves to sin, but now because of what Christ has done, we can live as servants of God. You used to be a slave of sin. We all did. We were submitted to a sin. We were in bondage to sin. We presented our bodies to the lifestyle of what the world and the standard of what the world puts out. 
But now because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can go from our old nature that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that old nature that we inherited through Adam as he sinned in the garden and we, we were born into this sin nature. But we don't have to live in that sin nature anymore because we can live in Christ. And the power that comes in Christ is stronger to overcome the power and the nature of our sin. You see, we're totally inclined every single day without anyone teaching us to be able to sin. We have a desire to sin. We have a carnal desire. We want to satisfy our pleasure. That is what we want to do. That, that we just want to satisfy our sin. However, what Jesus did is through the cross is now He's given us a way to overcome that and we don't have to live in Adam, in that old nature. We can live in the new nature and that is the nature of Christ. That's why when you come to Christ and you say you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you say, I no longer live for myself, but I'm living for Jesus, your life starts to change. Because you're not living for that old pleasure. You're living now for the plan. You're living now for the purpose of Christ. You're living in Christ. And we learned through verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 15 last week that it cost Jesus absolute obedience for Him to be submitted now to the Father to win you over. It costs Him to be submitted to the Father to win you over. So why should we offer God anything and Christ anything less than our full submission? I titled today's message, Fully Submitted. Are you fully submitted today to Christ? Are you fully submitted to Christ? Because Christ submitted Himself to the Father to make a way for your deliverance, to make a way for your freedom, so that you in turn would be fully submitted to Him. And as we are fully submitted in turn to Christ, He then puts all the authority, He puts Himself under the authority and the sovereignty of the Father God, so that God can be all in all. Is God all in all in your life today? Is He supreme? Is He all in all? Is He everything, everywhere in your life? He's the master passion of your life. Does He call the shots? Is He the authority? Does He sit on the throne of your life? Because Jesus did not go to die on the cross for your sins so that you can live for yourself. He went to die on the cross for our sins and to resurrect so that we can submit our lives to God. So that we can submit our lives to God. Right? So that He can be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28 says, Now when all these things are made subject to Him, when everything and everyone is submitted to Jesus... Himself, the Son, will also be subject to Him, will submit Himself to the Father, who put all things under Him. He will submit Himself under the Father once we all are submitted to Him. As He returns for His church, talking about the second coming, that God may be all in all. That is the theme of our life. It should be. That God may be all in all. That God would be supreme. That we would not be supreme. That we would not be all in all. But that God would be all in all. The only way that God can be all in all in your life is when you are fully submitted to Him. That God can be all in all. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is God all in all? Is God everything, everywhere in my life today? Is He all in all? That is true worship. That is a lifestyle of submission. That is a lifestyle of obedience. And now he goes on in verse 29. Paul, as he's defending the resurrection, he tells us this. Otherwise, 
What will they do, those who are baptized for the dead? If, they, if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do you stand in jeopardy? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in, which is in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And we ask that your word, Lord, would speak to us today. You would show us your truth. You would show us your plan. You would show us your purpose. And that you would show us that there was a purpose for the resurrection. And that it should change our life. That as soon as we trust in you, that we put our faith in Jesus and believe that he rose from the dead, that we will be saved, your word says. But also that that would be more than a concept, more than just a theme, Lord. That it would change our lives. It would change our lives. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name, in the church set together. Amen. Amen. Look what it says in verse 29 as you're reading here. Otherwise, what will they do, those who are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Now he's defending the teaching and the doctrine of the resurrection because the Greeks here believed in Corinth that the resurrection was not real, that you would not resurrect, that your body would not resurrect. Is it, why, why then, if resurrection is not real, why then, if you're living without the teaching and the doctrine of the resurrection, why is it that some of you are being baptized for the dead? Now, that's a very difficult verse to struggle and to interpret for many commentators. And some believe that what he is saying here is that why, what's the point of being baptized now in the name of Jesus if he did not resurrect and he is still dead? What's the name of going and being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and being baptized as Christ has ordained and gave us the example through His Word if He is still dead? There's no reason to be baptized. What's the reason of new life? What's the reason of signifying that the old me has been put to death and the new me is coming out of that water because God has done that in my heart again if Christ did not rise from the dead? What is the reason of that? What is the, pro the purpose? What is the profit? Where is the value in that? Now even some of the Corinth church was doing here in the Corinthians, what they would do is that they would now be baptized in the name of some of their family relatives who never were baptized and put their faith in Jesus. So after they were baptized, they had uh, these, this, this teaching where they would be baptized in the name of someone that actually had already passed. And we know that that doesn't really save anyone. That doesn't do anything because baptism is personal. But here he's confronting that as well. And he's saying, why do you get baptized in the name of people that are dead if Jesus did not rise from the dead? What is it? What's the reason on why you do what you do if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What's the reason that we go to get baptized if he didn't rise from the dead? The whole purpose of baptism is to signify and to show that we are living a new life. And that we have a promise of eternal life. That's what we were saying. The old me has been put to death. I am resurrected with Christ. This is my new life. He made me alive. I was dead and now I'm alive. But if Jesus, if He is still dead, what's the purpose of it all? Now in verse 30, He says, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why is it that we're living a physically dangerous life Faced with persecution because we're teaching about Jesus. What's it worth it all if he didn't really rise from the dead? 
Have you ever worked hard for something and then asked yourself, is there any really profit in what we're doing? Now he's confronting them and saying, what's the point of risking our lives every day for the cause of Jesus if he is still dead? What's the point of living in jeopardy? What's the point of living in self-denial every single day if Jesus is still dead? And he goes on in verse 31, I affirm by the boasting in, in, in you which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. The same way that I boast about you, church. The same way that I love you, church, and how you have been saved in the name of Jesus Christ. I tell you that I die daily. Now, we know here that he is facing physical pressures and dangers, Paul. And that's why he says, I die daily. He's dying every single day. He's suffering. What's the point of dying daily? What's the point of suffering on a daily basis if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Now, I want you to underline that word, I die daily, because it also gives us a double meaning, which we start to understand and know what's the point of self-denial if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. What did Jesus tell us as He came to teach in regards to the cross, in regards to the call to carry the cross? In Luke 9, 23 to 25, He says, And He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or is lost. See, what's the point of dying daily to our flesh? Of not indulging in the pleasures of what we want? Of carrying our cross in self-denial every single day if Jesus did not rise from the dead? What's the point of the self-denial lifestyle and being submitted and obedient to God? There's no value in it, right? Verse 32, as he goes on and he tells us, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now he also says, what's the profit of not only being baptized? What's the profit of not only dying daily? What's the profit of me opposing these false teachers in Ephesus? that were coming to me violently and opposing the doctrine and the word of God that I was teaching as wild beasts, he calls them. You see, in Ephesus, people were contending against Paul. And they were opposing the teaching that he was saying. He said, what's the point of opposing these false teachers that, that are coming violently against me if this is all a lie? You would ask yourself, what's the point of you being here today if it was all a lie? And here Paul is bringing it to our attention and he is letting it surface. What's the point of baptism? What's the point of dying daily? What's the point of standing with the Bible? Today we have more of opportunity than ever before than to stand with the Word of God because we know that we serve a living Savior. And that's what he's saying. What's the point of baptism? What's the point of dying daily? What's the point of standing with the Word of God and confronting these teachers in Ephesus that were opposing, opposing me violently if the dead do not rise? What happens if the dead do not rise? What happens when you're living with the mentality that Jesus did not rise from the dead? What happens when you live with the mentality that after you die, you don't really go to heaven, your soul just disappears and your body stays in the ground and disintegrates? What happens when you have that type of mentality? 
He tells us this in verse 31, that the danger of having that mentality, the danger of accepting that type of teaching, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that eternal life is just a lie, the danger in this is found in verse 31. The danger is the mentality of, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. You see what a careless lifestyle, mentality, irresponsible, undisciplined lifestyle we can become a part of if we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that we are going to one day face Him face to face? If we don't believe that one day we're going to be before the Lord face to face, what's going to happen? You see, He's telling us here in this verse 31, what's the point of it of having morals? What's the point of having standards? What's the point of decency? What's the point of order? If, if we're just going to live, eat, drink, tomorrow we die, let's just live it up right now then. Let's just have a good time right now because we're not going to have to give an account to anyone. What's the famous, really well-known now line that a lot of people like to use as a way of, of giving themselves a license now to sin or to live it up? You only live once. And that's the mentality that they, can, they are starting to becoming to have. You only live once, so let's live it up. Let's drink, let's eat tomorrow. We're just going to die. Let's live it up every single day. Right? And he's saying, this is the mentality that you can have. A mentality of why should I live a holy life if at the end it doesn't really matter. Yes, you only live once here on your earthly body. But everyone's going to have to face God one day and stand accountable before the Lord. And have to give an account as to what we did with the time that He gave us. Paul here is bringing up the subject. He says, if there's no resurrection, and if no one's going to ever judge me, if I'm not going to resurrect, then we might as well have the best time of our lives right now. And Paul's saying, I'm a fool for putting myself in such a way of discomfort, of danger, for the sake of, of the gospel, since there's no real resurrection, you know, then I might as well just live it up. But we know because there is a resurrection, because every one of us here, I want you to understand this, every one of us here have an appointment with God. Every one of us here have an appointment with God. And one day you're going to have to face God in that appointment, one on one. No one's going to stand with you at that appointment. And, and, and you're going to have to give Him an answer in that appointment as to what you did with your faith in Christ. As whether or not if you put your trust in Jesus. And if we have that type of appointment that we're going to be face to face with God and have that one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord, should we not spend our time preparing for such an important date? You think about an important date that you have. Maybe you have an interview. Maybe you have a, uh, an important you know, uh, appointment that you have to attend. And, and you, you are, are preparing for this appointment. You're preparing for this interview. You're going to give an account. You, you want to make the best response possible. Now me and you have an appointment with the Lord. And because we have an appointment with the Lord, we cannot say, let me just live it up. Let me live carelessly. Let me throw morals out of the way. Let me throw the standard of God out of the way. Let me, let me throw accountability out of, out, the, out of the way. And let me just live the, whichever way I want. That's the way the world is. I don't have to give an account to anybody. Let me just live my life however I want. In verse 33, look what it says. Do not be deceived. And I want you to underline that because he's saying a lot of you are deceived with this mentality. A lot of you are deceived with this teaching. 
You're deceived that there is no resurrection, so therefore you can live whatever way you want because there is no final judgment. Do not be deceived. The resurrection should change the way you live. The resurrection should change everything about you. Do not be deceived because you lived in deception long enough. We were living in the world where the enemy was lying to us. And he was making us go different directions that were just going to lead us to pain, that were just going to lead us to, to self-pleasure, that, that led us eventually into bondage, that didn't really give us the freedom that we thought it promised. It says that you have been deceived long enough. Do not be deceived. That, the definition of deceive here or deception in the Hebrew word is the Greek word, or the Greek word, I'm sorry, is the Greek word planao. And the Greek word planao in deception means do not go astray. Do not wander. It says, do not be deceived by, by being led into error. Do not be seduced by the world. Do not be led aside uh, from the path of virtue and go astray in sin. Have we been seduced maybe at times? Led astray? Have we wandered away and tried to live our lives as if we never have to give an account to anyone? He's saying, do not be deceived. You will have to give an account one day. Do not live in such a loose careless lifestyle or way do not be deceived with this mentality what kind of mentality were they being deceived with the mentality that they would not have to give an account today what we hate the most is to give an account we hate accountability we don't like accountability we don't like responsibility now in the world we're living in but neither did they in Corinth and he's saying do not be deceived you will have to give an account one day don't be led astray do not wander with that mentality do not live such a loose life in verse 33, he tells us here, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We can spend all the rest of the, the message today on just that verse. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now when you talk about relationships, when you talk about those that you enter and have a relationship with, when you speak about the kind of friends that you associate yourself with, it tells us specifically clearly in verse 33 that evil company corrupts good habits. You see, when you're lied to, when you're living in deception, you start to accept any type of company because you're saying, you know, it doesn't really matter. And as you accept any type of company, you start to live in the lifestyle that eventually is going to corrupt good habits. What is that word, good habits? It's good character, it's godly character, it's holiness. And sometimes we don't realize it that, that the corruption begins when we start to compromise in small areas. Oh, because of the evil company that I have ha taking place in my life, now I'm being slowly deceived and wandering and led astray into a different type of teaching. And that's why he reminds them evil company corrupts good habits. What does it corrupt? It corrupts and it pollutes. It destroys the good character. It destroys holiness. And what's interesting about this evil company corrupting good habits is that that we sometimes don't even realize that we are compromising because of the company that we are around and you start to begin to think that what you're doing is not wrong because the enemy starts to lie to you and you say well what i'm doing is not really wrong because of the company that you've surrounded yourself well everyone is doing it so it doesn't really matter and now you have a corrupted character because of the company that you've affiliated yourself with how does the character of your life look today? The King James Version of this verse reads this, Do not be deceived or lied to evil communications corrupt 
good manners. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What was the evil communications taking place? The false teaching, the false company, the deception, the sin. Going into a relationship that doesn't honor God. It corrupts the good heart that God has placed as you're following and honor God's word. He's saying that that evil company that you're living in or you're having, that, that, that type of company is corrupting the word of God that's been implanted in you. The word of God that's been implanted in you. What kind of company are you surrounded with today? Because the resurrection should change that as well. What type of company are you surrounded with today? We've heard it said before, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you your future. Tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you your future. Evil company corrupts good habits. And what happens when you're corrupted? You know what happens when you're corrupted? When your character is corrupted? When you start to be watered down when it comes to the good habits that God has given you? You start to hurt other people. You start to hurt other people. Because you chose to say, you know what, I'm going to affiliate myself with people that don't honor God. And eventually, guess what happens? You're led astray and you start to hurt other people in your life. Because you're not standing for the word of God. Who are you surrounded with today? Are you surrounded with those that really honor God, that want to honor the Lord? Are you surrounded with people that just don't care? Let's live it up today. Let's eat, let's drink. Who cares about accountability? There is no final judgment. I don't have fear for God. Evil company corrupts good habits. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, here in the same letter, Paul already told the church, don't you realize, don't glory, don't boast, don't think that you can just do whatever you want, because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little company, a little compromise will affect and permeate your entire life. And before you know it, it is corrupted. Your life is now compromised. The holiness is compromised. It is corrupted now. Just a little area. And where you start to corrupt will eventually lead to a now deception and a denial of Christ. You think about the life of Peter. What was he doing, Peter, before he denied Jesus? He was surrounded by evil company. He started to surround himself and warm himself with the fire of those that wanted to accuse Christ. He wanted to surround himself in that courtyard. And eventually what took place is that he denied Jesus. You see, with your lifestyle, you can eventually deny Jesus if you're surrounded by the wrong crowd. It will change your habits. It will change the way you talk. It will change the reverence that you have for God. It will change the fear that you have for God. Because nobody else has fear, so I'm not in that type of atmosphere. So it now changes the fear that you have for God. And you start to become conformed. Be careful that you're not conformed to the company that you're with if they don't honor God. That you are not conformed. Romans 12, 1. What is it? What is it? Paul tells us as he's writing to the church in Rome. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I command you, I exhort you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice that is holy, that is acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the only thing that makes sense. That you offer your body something that is holy. Offer your body something that is pure. Offer your body something that, that is acceptable to God. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the standard of this world. Don't be conformed to the standard of those that don't trust Jesus. That don't believe in Jesus. That are not walking with Jesus. Do not be transformed. But be here. Do not be conformed. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the character. That's what we have to understand, that we are not to be conformed, we are to be transformed with the renewing of our mind, that we may prove, that your life may prove what is good and what's the acceptable, perfect will of God. 
You're not able ever to do the perfect will of God if you're surrounded by people that do not care about the will of God. You want to be in the will of God? Then be around people that are also in the will of God. They have the same values, biblical values. They have the same objectives and beliefs as the Word of God. Let's stand up for the Bible. And what does he tell us here after he says good company corrupts, bad company corrupts good habits? He goes on in verse 34 and he says, Awake to righteousness. Wake up, church. Wake up, Corinthians. You've been doing this wrong this entire time. Awake to righteousness. What does awake mean? It means to be sober-minded. It means to think carefully. It means to return to someone's senses from being drunk or to become sober. You know when you know, someone has become drunk, well, how do they live their lives? Carelessly. Without thinking clearly the decisions that they're making. When you are not thinking clearly of the decisions that you are making, guess what happens? You are under the influence of your sin nature. And that's what he's saying, awake now. Do not be deceived, but awake to what? Awake to being right with God. Awake from spiritual sleep. You see, when you start to compromise and corrupt that good habit that God has put in your life through the Word of God, you start to become spiritually content, and now you are asleep spiritually, and you cannot respond to the lifestyle that God has called you to live in. The New Living Translation, it says, Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. When you go out with people that are not believers, when you affiliate with those that do not honor God, think carefully about how you engage. Because it can clearly lead you to sin. You know, sometimes we're led by emotions. We just want to have a good time and we're surrounded by people that do not honor God. And we don't think carefully and clearly about staying righteous. Because we want to be liked by them. Because we, want, we don't want to be weird. <laughs> we don't want them to think, this guy's a weirdo. He doesn't do this anymore. He doesn't talk like this. He doesn't want to laugh about this. And all of a sudden, we start to corrupt that godly character that God has given us, right? And we start now to now be conformed to the standard of the world. Awake, think soberly, return to one's senses. Return from being now influenced by other outside sources. You see, why does he tell them to awake? Because they're being influenced. I want to ask you today, are you being influenced by the world or are you being influenced by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Man, when we're influenced by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter who we're around. The Holy Spirit controls and dominates our life because God is all in all. We live in a world where social media influences you. In a fake world where, where people start to try to give an image. And it's an image of the world instead of the image of Jesus Christ. It's an image where you try to Pretend that you are something, but it's everything but the image of Jesus. You see what he's telling us here? Awake to righteousness. Do not be influenced by those types of teaching. Do not be influenced by those that, that practice evil, that are corrupting your good habit. What are you being influenced by today? And when it says awake, it's so important because we all today need an awakening. I pray if you like taking notes or maybe today you go back and you read your word tonight, you would say, Lord, give me a spiritual awakening because I don't want to be the same. Lord, wake me up from being influenced by the things of this world that are corrupting my godly character. Wake me up from knowing that these evil company, that these people that do not honor God are corrupting that word of God that you've already implanted in my heart of what you've called me to live. I want to live in your will. 
You think about it in your, in your own work. You're spending time with people that maybe do not believe in Jesus or never, not, not walking in fear of God. Are they corrupting that good habit of the implanted Word of God that is in you? Are you being influenced by them or are they being influenced by you? Because when you're influenced by the Holy Spirit, guess what? You influence others to Jesus. You bring up the name Jesus. And that's why he says, awake from sleep. And he tells us this in this very verse. And do not sin. And do not sin. How do you awake from sleep? What happens when you awake spiritually? It takes you away from sin. But when you're spiritually sleeping, you're going to start to compromise into sin. And that's what he tells us. Awake from, to righteousness and do not sin. Do not sin, as it tells us. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. He says, some of you don't even know God. And I speak this, it should be embarrassing. You don't know God. And he's saying, the reason why I say that you don't know God and it's embarrassing is because your life demonstrates that you don't know God. Because you're living in sin. If we're living in sin, you know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates that we don't know God. And he's saying, I want you to awake from that spiritual sleep. Awake to righteousness. And do not sin. Do not be influenced. Do not be deceived. Do not sin. Because some of you are professing that you really don't know God. And it's embarrassing to say this because of the lifestyle that you're living. What is the lifestyle that we're living saying? Because that's the first message that everyone receives from our life. Right? In Romans chapter 13 verse 11, he says, And do this knowing that the time now it is high time. Knowing that now it is high time. Now it is urgent time. Now it is time that it's very urgent. It is time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Our salvation is more near today than when we first believed. The, the, the rapture of the church is more close now than from the day that you first gave your life to Jesus. So that means that me and you are closer to the time that we will have that appointment, that interview one-on-one, face-to-face with God. So we must awake out of sleep. It is high time. It is urgent time. Because it is nearer than we first believed. Have you ever looked at the clock and know, you know what, I have two hours left and I need to get this done. I need to change all of this. You know, I, I've set myself a 30-day maybe journey to exercise, to work out, to, to be in shape, whatever it would be. I'm preparing myself for a certain appointment or a time. Know this, the time is running out. That's what he's saying. Awake out of sleep. You know why this is important? Because sometimes what we can do is waste time. We can waste time. And we start to become comfortable. Comfortable with the standard of the world. Influence with the standard of the world. You know what the resurrection does here in these, first, in these five verses, what he's telling them? The resurrection, it, it forces you to make a decision. It forces you to make a decision today about the way that you're going to choose to live your life. You're either going to choose, based off the resurrection, to, you're going to choose to live your life the way of the world, or you're going to choose to live your life the way of Christ. You're either going to be living in the Adam, in the flesh, in that old nature, or we're going to be living in Christ. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. I pray that today God provides that awakening in us. That we no longer would sin, but that we would turn our life over to God. Let's go ahead and pray.
Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because it's true, Lord. There's so many times in our lives, Lord, that we start to become influenced. And because we're influenced, we let ourselves be lied to. But I ask, Lord, that your spirit would help us not be lied to by this world. Not be lied to what the world promises. It's so empty and it's so vain, God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, by the power of your spirit, Lord, awake us, Lord. If there's anybody here that needs to be awakened, God, that you would do it, and maybe even in all of us, Lord. That we wouldn't try to fit in, but Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray, Lord, if there's any habits of the world that we've picked up, instead of habits from your word, that we would renounce those evil habits, the habits that lead to sin, and they would cling on and hang on to the habits that lead to you, God. Maybe it's a relationship, Lord, that we cannot be a part of. Maybe, Lord, it's conversations that you don't want us to be a part of any longer. Maybe it's habits that have influenced us from the outside. We pray, Lord, that we would not be influenced by anything else but your word, Lord. And that we would choose, Lord, you over anything else. 